We're live with episode 101. We made it through our centennial, and now we're into the second century of future chat. <laughs> oh, man. This has been a conundrum this this week. Um, I think it's time to promote East Meets West once again, because Nick and I did an episode last week, or at the middle of this week. Yeah, we did. And uh, the, right, we started off the show right away with me having disc issues, and um, the disc issues continue. They've not been solved. Yeah. But, Rob uh, couldn't get his dick disc working. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what could not I get? Your off? disc. You could not spin up your disc. Uh, that's, yeah, that's basically what happened. <laughs> I went for the joke and I misspoke anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a better joke if you misspoke. Freudian slip. <laughs> Guys, I'm so tired. Oh, man. What happened? Um... Well, last night, I, uh, actually yesterday at about three o'clock, I headed down south and did some, um, some gardening until about 10 o'clock. And that's all, you know, moving yeah. compost and stuff like that will be mulching later in the week. But so it was, it was pretty heavy labor, all things considered. Okay. And then I stayed up because the West Coast Eagles, my adopted team was beating my friend Cherie's favorite team, the Gold Coast Suns. Okay. It sounds like a real league with real sports teams. It's, they yeah. really do. Except. You have no idea how real they sound. <laughs> Except the problem is TSN2 decided that instead of broadcasting the game that was happening live in Australia at the Domain Stadium, instead of broadcasting that one, they'd rerun, I think it was Richmond and Essendon, which was just... It was it was a shellacking of Essendon, which is huh. unsurprising because Essendon had a uh, had a it was a drug or a doping scandal, which removed like most of their players from the roster. I still don't know what sport okay. this is. This is rugby, no, or Aussie <laughs> yeah, rules rugby, Aussie rules football, or yeah, footy, as some will call it. Because <laughs> we don't have enough sports so, in football already. And then and then I got home and I was like, well, maybe I can find a quasi legal stream I could watch of the game that is still going on and no i could not no so now i, I find it odd that tsn is airing any kind of afl well, tsn too is that, is that what you call you called it afl last time yeah, right? yeah. australian football league I, it's weird that they're airing that they air the cfl at some point so I mean, it's not it that Canadian weird. sports broadcasting and canadian sports. well no but um, they broadcast the cfl in the states you just have to pay for the right okay. cable package. Right. That's TSN. Considering 90% of CFL so. rosters are American, that also kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, everything minus the required Canadian players. <laughs> Literally. Well, it's got the Canadian rules. Just uh, you, can't, you can't be upset if your awesome game attracts talent from elsewhere. Well, no, I mean, in, in the Canadian Football League, one of the rules is you cannot be upset. You have to say sorry after every play. You tackle someone, you say sorry. You block someone, you say sorry. I really I really want to see an edited version of a CFL game in which everyone like <laughs> smashes together and you hear a bunch of sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry. That, on your so that video <laughs> must exist. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it should, but if it doesn't, Rob, get on that. Oh, yeah. I could see that yeah, that would sure. go viral if it hasn't already. That that would go viral. Um, yeah, I have some I have some big news, but it's not science or tech related, so I'm going to save it for the end of the show for the big reveal. Okay. Oh man. Um, now I just want to hear the news. Being, <laughs> is this something to do know, with your I, D? You especially. It has nothing to do with okay. the D. <laughs> um, <laughs> but before that, before we get to the end of the show, let's start the show and. Uh, Mike, why don't you take us through some of this? This is this is all your follow up, <laughs> as per usual, because you guys never yeah. have follow up. No, this stuff isn't even actually it follow is follow up. up. I don't think any of wait, all wait. of it is follow in up. That we've, and now in follow up, Elon Musk has landed the third <laughs> rocket. Fourth. Back, the fourth, fourth. Oh God, I thought yeah. it was only the third. The fourth yeah. landing on the barge. That's not even in follow up. That's not in follow up because now <laughs> I'm the only one who cares about What's it. What's Elon Musk cares. up to this week? We will be talking about Elon Musk. Actually, I deleted that out of the follow up. He was in follow up before, but I took him out. Yeah, um, and that's what Elon Musk is up to this week. <laughs> 
so I'll just go through this because these are all kind of follow-ups from our previous conversations, either sure. recent or in the past, but regardless. Yeah. So as far as Allo is concerned, being the new messenger app in the internet landscape. Well, primo. There's At a, first I thought you were talking about like Allo, the plant, like that helps oh. with burns. <laughs> No, I'm tired. Um, Allo as in the Spanish way to say hello. Yeah, um, I feel like if, it, if you said it in a British accent, that would help differentiate it for me. Allo, allo, allo. What's all this then? <laughs> it's a messaging app. That's what it is. There's some new data from, I guess, a data company called SimilarWeb that I guess they were using Android data from 187 countries to figure out what the most popular messaging app is. Um, okay. Again, this is Android data, so it's not going to include iMessage. Um, okay. But they found that WhatsApp is now the most popular messaging app, followed by Facebook Messenger at number two, which means wow. that 80% of all messages sent around the world, at least by Android devices, are facilitated by Facebook in some way. Does that include um, text messages? I'm assuming not. Just no, it'd IM. be okay. But a lot of people use WhatsApp as SMS, like right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, there's uh, Al's got the work cut out for them for getting some of that market huh. share, and I, I don't know how that's going to work out, but I think it's just kind of confirmed what everyone already knew that WhatsApp and Facebook yeah. Messenger were insanely popular, even within iOS. I think Rob, maybe you can say more about it, but. Do people really use iMessage anymore? Well, people who as people who text okay. SMS use iMessage if they're talking to people who have iPhones right. because that it just happens. Right. But I mean, it's it's iOS only, and or well, it's Apple products only. So it for me at least, it can't capture everyone. It captures probably less than half the people I talk to. Really. The only person I message on a regular basis is Julia because she has an iPhone. But everyone else that's kind of in my immediate circle of people don't have iPhones. Or if they do, they don't use iMessage that much. They they just don't text. Like they'll send me Facebook messages. The The most interesting thing to me here isn't so much that WhatsApp, WhatsApp is really popular around the world because we all know that it is. Even if in North America, it's not that well, that hugely used. Facebook Messenger is not a surprise. The surprise to me is like, they, they, um, in this article, they describe different pockets. Like in Asia, there are, there are other, like line is pretty popular. And, uh, there's a couple other ones. Like there, there's, there's social networks that are big in China that we don't even know. We don't even really have here. And like talking about how in Ukraine, 65% of devices have Viber installed, which is uh, like another chat app that does voice calling. It might now do video calling. I don't know. I haven't, I checked it out when it first started. And like, it seemed like a pretty good interface and it was free messages to people using the app, but I would never consider using it everywhere. And so I'm, I'm curious if maybe like WhatsApp doesn't actually work in, uh, in Ukraine. Like there, there are places like that kind of conflicted regions or regions with ongoing conflicts where the government kind of takes authority sometimes and just shuts things down. Like that happens a lot in China where services just can't really be used or they can be used, but not everyone can use them in the same way. You don't have an expectation it'll always work. And so you end up using something that just does work for you. It's it's bizarre, though. It makes sense that WhatsApp... Yeah, I, th I think it's more related to censorship that yeah. and freedom of speech. I, I don't know if it's conflict-related, but it's at least government policy-related. And yeah, the, yeah, there's a lot of apps in China and Asia that try to get around those those regulations and, and limitations. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess that explains like the regional specific apps that, that might be yeah. popular. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, an interesting kind of thing. And I guess for another piece of Google follow up, uh, we talked about last week with Daydream VR and how it's a new standard that's being kind of set up by Google to have Android devices be compatible with their VR system called Daydream. Yeah. And, we we're talking about what type of phone would be required to run the VR system. And 
I guess just the motivation behind coming up with a standard because on one hand it might be oh well Android phones currently aren't capable of kind of meeting Google standards and the other is well they just want to kind of get everyone on the same page versus just Samsung kind of being in that that boat (laughs) yeah (laughs) and turns out that it's the latter but for some reason the current phones that would be capable of running it won't be allowed to in theory like probably won't well no like like they're not yeah, saying the, the, straight up the head not. the head of vr said that current smartphones won't be capable of running daydream so okay. and 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 that Fine. being said i mean he's still saying that the nexus 6p is an example of a specific device to work towards though yeah. the 6p won't be a six a daydream certified <laughs> smartphone who knows right. why right yeah. it, it just obviously we all know why but why like it's do we all know why because i don't well, know why I, considering that i predicted this last <laughs> week um i know why because android is hugely fragmented and they need they want to set a benchmark of minimum viability and the only thing they can really do to make sure that everything is going to work well is to say all right every device that currently exists right now can't do it but we're going to make sure that we set the standard now so that the next generation of devices will if they want to be on this program on the daydream program they will have to have certain specs and it's possible it's very possible that like high end like the galaxy s7 can run this but they won't it won't necessarily run up to google standards and so they don't want to say current generation phones can do it until it's proven true on the finished product so they're trying to set a high bar i don't think it necessarily means it won't work at all i think that it just means that they want to make sure that it's going to be a good uh outcome on older phones before saying yes try it on older phone like older meaning meaning current right as opposed to when it comes out this is my theory is that they're running out of things to include into a new device to encourage people to upgrade so this is a reason for people to buy a new phone that that that's that's maybe the cynical view but i think that's a very cynical view but it's very very possible possible. and (laughs) i looked up because when i read that i'm like there's no way that the 6p is like the gold standard of performance right now so i looked up just basically first hit on google for phone benchmarking and so i'll include it in the notes and if you look up the note the 6p benchmarks they have a comparison chart so you can add a couple other ones so if you add the s7 and the note 5 and the g5 those are all the s7 and the g5 are all above the 6p yeah and the Note 5 is pretty much on par with the 6P. Right. Um, which basically means that anything, this year's models, all the flagship models from this year, are all at par with 6P or above. So yeah. there's there's really no reason to say, unless what you're saying is, is accurate, where they're not promising or just coming out and saying that this year's will be compatible. It might be the kind of right. thing where it's unofficially condoned or okayed by google for people to use mm-hmm. the older phones or just not guaranteeing that it'll work it's kind of yeah. like a your mileage may vary situation but right. going forward the ones that will work will be android vr cert- or daydream vr certified yeah um, i think it's similar to the pro the program like the the nexus program itself you can have like google will build with manufacturers they'll build a nexus phone every year or at least they have for the last few years but it takes it takes working with Google to actually get that certification. Whether or not any phone you can just take and root and install pure Android on, obviously you can, but they're not promising it that it will work to their satisfaction and to their standards yeah. unless you work with them in the development process. And so the next Samsung phone, you can bet that they're going to work with Google to make sure that it gets that Daydream certification, yeah. especially because they're selling their own VR product. I, I have a feeling that... It might be a matter of going to the Play Store to download the Daydream app to run the VR, mm-hmm. and the Play Store is going to say your phone is not compatible with this app. And, 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 well and I feel like that is going to be the most straightforward way to prevent people from having a crappy experience, but it's also going to prevent people from who have a good enough phone to run it, even if it's not certified. And, yeah. and I feel like you know that's that's going to be the most straightforward way for google to control what phones are allowed quote unquote allowed right. to run it 
um, which is unfortunate, I think. Yeah. I, I'm really curious because they've come, come out like Oculus, uh, the head of Oculus came out and said that even the most powerful Apple computer doesn't have good enough graphics to support, uh, the Oculus. And so they're, they're coming way out ahead here. They're, they're saying that the rendering, rendering necessary, all the 3D stuff that's necessary to run good VR isn't going, isn't something that can just be run on any computer. It needs a high end computer. And so to run it on a phone, you're going to need a very high end phone to do it, to get like, you could play Tetris or whatever VR version of Tetris, where it's just like a block, like a fairly, fairly simple game or activity. But the things that they want to design for are going to be these realistic virtual environments that are 3D rendered and have 60 frames a second all the time. They're going to want high standards. And so I think that's that's really the only reason why they're even having a certification program. They want to make sure that everything is above that level of quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thrilling. Absolutely I, thrilling. It will be. I, I really think yeah. it will. For what it's worth, I, I received my cardboard unit and have been playing around with yeah. it a little bit. And it is a fun cool novelty to have like a pseudo vr headset like it it is very immersive but the experience itself leaves a lot to be desired just with the The cardboard cardboard. just just, thing yeah like like just the way that the apps are right now at least the ones that i've tried they're not they're not great because all all it can do right now is there's like a little clicker button at the top that you can like interact with your vr environment so there's kind of like okay. a, a central cursor or little kind of bullseye in the middle that you can kind of point around and interact with things. But the experience itself isn't very, uh, like it's just not the same as using an actual VR headset at all. Right. It's just the, the viewing experience is similar, which is, which is better yeah. than nothing, but it's, yeah. I'm looking forward to trying like an actual VR headset at some point because I'd imagine, right. Hopefully I would, but. Um, yeah, I guess that's the whole point. And I guess the other aspect is that this daydream VR thing, it's still not going, I guess maybe they'll put out a separate unit with it. I assume they would that has sensors that can detect like arms and hands in front of you to kind of project onto the VR possibly, but yeah, hopefully the experience is a lot better than what cardboard offers right now. Hopefully. I'm sure that they can improve on a little cardboard thing for your face. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. has lenses. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> Anything else in follow-up, Mike? There's a... Uh, Microsoft is giving up on its consumer phone business. They they sold their Nokia feature phone division to a Asian company, I believe. And they're letting go of... 1,350 Nokia staff out of 1850. 1850 total, 1,350 of them being Nokia staff in Finland. Uh, okay. Um, so, but that being said, they're still apparently researching and developing mobile phone stuff. So. Okay. We still. Well, they still have Windows Phone, regardless of whether they have actual hardware products. Well, that is what Windows Phone is, though. No, but you can release Windows Phone on a phone that's not made by Nokia or Microsoft. Right. Like they're giving up on the necess- maybe they're giving up on the idea of the Surface Phone, but they're not giving up on the idea of Windows Phone like as still a platform. Like Android. Like, it- like right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just because Google may not make any phones, which they don't, doesn't mean that they're giving up on Hopefully, Android. Hopefully, because I I do like Windows 10 as a platform and and I well, I would hope that they don't give up on Windows 10 because, like, hundreds of millions of people depend on Windows. I don't mean Windows 10 as a software, it, just being a phone platform. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because I, I think the, the last couple of keynotes have given me a lot of confidence in their their vision, and and this is kind of disheartening to hear. But Well, yeah, the Continuum thing is very interesting, but nobody has Windows phones to be able to actually use or try it. Right. But people want Windows phones, I, I think. Right. Like I would love Who the idea of everyone phone? having <laughs> people, Nick. What people? People at Microsoft. People want a Windows phone <laughs> that also has app support. And that's why they were going to allow Android apps to run, which now yeah. got kibosh, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Too. Like well, I mean, I, think, I, yeah. I I guess people want Windows phones in the same vein as people eat at Arby's. 
Like, yeah, it happens, just not a lot. Yeah. It has... The, um, I, going along that same analogy, Windows phones have certain use cases. The same way that eating at Arby's is very use case specific. Arby's is delicious. Don't... It's, in the I'm times, not knocking Arby's. Like, I like the roast beef sandwiches. It's just... It's always dead in there. Like yeah, every time true. I walked in, like actually I think I ate at Arby's for the first time in like years a couple weeks back. <laughs> but like it was dead when I walked in there. Right. The um I, I love the idea of everyone having not necessarily a Windows phone, but a phone with a continuum like service where you could like I'm seeing a public library or Starbucks or something. They could have a bunch of dumb terminals with a, a monitor and a keyboard and mouse and you plug your phone into the dock and then you can just surf the web on the computer that's on the like station, the terminal station that's there. But you don't actually need to log in or anything and you don't have to. You can bring your own hardware. You have all your email, all your apps and stuff. But we're not there yet and Windows Phone has not taken off as a platform. No. It's having the same problem as Ubuntu Unity which will do exactly the same thing you're describing. Yeah, yeah. You'd think Microsoft would be able to be better off, but so far they have not been. And last bit of follow-up here, Rob's dream device of a phone that... This is not my dream device. I just want to be very clear. The phone that wraps around his arm is is closer to reality. There's a, a Samsung display that they demoed at some conference for digital displays in san francisco and they have a 1080p 5.7 inch display 386 pixels per inch density with a 0.3 millimeter thick display and a 10 meter 10 millimeter rolling radius which is actually pretty impressive this is the single coolest thing you've reported in all of (laughs) follow-up and you're like oh and by the way you know this awesome thing happened i mean it's not as exciting as WhatsApp being the top messaging app in the world, which we all knew already, but, you know. Yeah. You buried the lead, I Mike. don't disagree that this is an exciting thing. I just thought it was more fluffy than the others, but... What? what? No! <laughs> Nick, Nick, this is this is not... Like, this in itself is an in, uh, an evolution of the best, but we it's not the first rollable... No, it's not. Display. I'm not saying it is. No, it's released. not, but this is... Yeah, exactly. It's an iteration on yeah. an already cool... That's what I'm thing. saying. Like, the last time we saw it, I can't remember if it was Samsung or not, but we talked about this before, where the it was more of a TV-sized display that was being rolled, but it, it was yeah. a lot less impressive. It was a lot wider of a radius and didn't seem right. to be as rolled as this one was. This one's yeah. actually like very impressive. I saw the footage. It's just yeah, just being rolled between rollers. It's yeah. so yeah. cool. And and Mike, you know you know what my dream phone is, right? You know what I want. I don't want rollable. Do you want the D drive? <laughs> no, jeez. <laughs> no, I want the phone that stretches. I want it to be become different sizes. Well, I want to be able to like Pull my phone apart and have it become that a tablet. That literally doesn't make sense, what you want. It, it does. doesn't, Rob. It could. You need, like, flexible pixels. You need Minority you need, Report to become a reality. You need... And then instead exactly. of being an abstract thing, be a physical, tangible object. You need yeah. dynamically replicating, reproducing pixels. No, you you need an array of pixel-type objects that are able to kind of move around but still know where they are and be able to communicate with each other. It's possible. It's just pretty far in the future. Okay. I see how it's possible, but I see, I understand your skepticism. (laughs) What I'm really excited for with the 5.7 inch rollable display is I'm assuming this is based on graphene. Am I, am I incorrect? Being based, I don't know if it has graphene in it. Okay. Details. Um, I'm really excited for the implications with, uh, you know, what this could mean for power generation. Yeah. Technology like this where, you know, you can just roll on a, a really thin organic photovoltaic cell. Like I'm looking at the mm-hmm. big glass buildings outside in Calgary and just salivating at the possibilities and also Soylent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's follow up. <laughs> 
And there you go. And that's what Elon Musk is up to this week. <laughs> so um, this week, the there was a big news story that broke on Thursday or Friday. And um, so I think we should we should come at this with because I, I already saw. First of all, we saw the news break. We saw the round of all the other news organizations covering this news. And then we've I've already seen like within 24 hours, I saw a think piece. And so we've posted the think piece in here and has to do with this cancer cell phone study that whose results were first published, uh, this week. And that like, they basically, this hasn't been peer reviewed yet, but they hit the ground running with results and published this study on, on mice and the effects of radiation similar to cell phone radiation. And, uh, so you guys first came across, like you guys both said that you had seen this before, right? Yeah. I came across it. I didn't, I read some like backwater news site post something about this and it was like, ah, so any other headline I read about, I just skipped over. I didn't even bother reading it. What backwater do you read? It was something posted on Facebook that someone linked to and I was like, what? And of course it was linked without sources or anything like that. So I'm like, ah. And uh, it was reported in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, one of the two. One of the ones that has the the paywall that <laughs> you have to go around with incognito mode. Definitely the Times does that. The Although the, yeah. the other one might do it as well. Yeah. But uh, yes, Vox. Vox made famous from our episode. We're taking on Vox. <laughs> yes. And nothing else. Well, Vox was the one that published that that is talking about the same thing that I want to talk about, which is the fact that. We, we've talked a lot on this show about studies that we've brought forth that claim something interesting or different than we'd heard before. And they're wildly different than the other massive body of knowledge that we already have. But we've also seen as, and discussed the fact that first of all, everything causes cancer according to studies. And second of all, that study you read where everything caused cancer. Yeah. It turns out that doesn't cause cancer. And so we've we've seen a lot of pretty thorough research and long-term studies done now on the effects of cell phone type radiation radiation at the levels that cell phone cell phones produce it and at those frequencies that are non-ionizing and so then the the new york times or whatever it is comes out with a publication that just says this basically i'm paraphrasing because i don't have it in front of me but basically uh this is here's our cell phones cancer link and saying that when you're talking about a study that was done on rats and saying that the study that they did found that some of the rats had a slightly increased incidence of cancer, but it was only the males and it was a specific type of brain cancer. They, they haven't necessarily controlled for all the variables and this hasn't been peer reviewed. This is, this was published, like the results were published. It hasn't gone through final evaluation yet, but because cancer generates clicks they're gonna kind of try to get out ahead of it but if it gets peer-reviewed and it just turns around and they say okay there's flaws in the experiment or it needs more research then they will have already gotten all their press and doesn't really matter anymore because publishing Uh, this is the reason why irresponsible (laughs) this is why peer review exists first of all and this is also why you can't just look at one study in isolation you have to look at the study in the context of the existing body of research. And so like when you, when you develop a new drug, you go through animal testing first, usually, and it can't necessarily be trusted because humans react in different ways to, to animals, even, even rats a lot of the time, even though they're, they're kind of genealogically close to us. But in this case, they did a study on rats where they looked at probably the most kind of controlled study you could have, where they had the rats in a small cage and they were exposing them to radiation for controlled amounts of time. Whereas in, in human population, you're just looking at people to self-report cell phone use. But humans in this case are the human study where they looked over 20 or 30 years at the incidence of brain cancer uh, specifically, but all kinds of cancer in general. And comparing that to uh, like cell, high cell phone use or medium or low cell phone use they found that there was no link over time. And you'd expect that as cell phones get into the 20 to 30 year range, that's when tobacco, for instance, when tobacco first got huge, 
but with big companies man, uh, manufacturing cigarettes. 20 or 30 years later, you saw this massive spike in lung cancer. We're not seeing that same spike in brain cancer or any other specific type of cancer since cell phones kind of hit that point where they were among in the population. I don't know. Do you guys, did you guys have any thoughts other than like, Mike, it sounds like you just saw this backwater Facebook <laughs> post and then ignored everything yes. else. Is that, well, cause it's, yeah. this has come up before, like we were saying before the show, right. You know, back when Blackberries were becoming bigger and just people started carrying cell phones around, there's a big push for people to wear their cell phones like on their belts and to get like headsets yeah. so that their phone wasn't directly like next to their head, which is ridiculous. And yeah, so the, I just assumed this was like the same type story, just kind of getting recycled for some odd reason. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I've while you're talking, like I was trying to think of like what, like my argument against this type of thing is generally like, do you realize how many electromagnetic waves are flying through your body right now, even yeah. while not using <laughs> a cell phone? So like the cell phone yeah. should be, if if you are concerned about that, that's the least of your concerns because just there's a lot you'd be yeah. terrified if you could see them. Um, so that, that's kind of my first reaction to this is just have a bit of reality check. I think mm-hmm. I just wanted to come in on like a tangential note. I have it on good authority that for a while, one of the senior people in the Canadian military had one of those Blackberry belts and okay. on their day off, they would walk around wearing only undergarments at home with the Blackberry on the belt because they mm-hmm. absolutely had to be reachable at all times for reasons yeah. of national security. Yeah. I like that idea. I think that's funny. <laughs> you want a Blackberry belt and nothing else? Well, no, you got to have something to clip it to. Oh, are we saying like a full on belt just no, for the Blackberry? No, the clip on thing. That's what I no, was thinking. Clip- that's what I was no, visualizing. the clip on thing. Yeah, no, the, the 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 clip-on thing is what I was thinking of. Fair I like that a lot. But yeah, there's, I mean, it's also... The guy in Vox, I can't remember his name, he makes an excellent point saying that you would assume that as cell phone rates have increased, or the usage thereof has increased, you would expect to see a corresponding rise in cancer rates, and it just hasn't happened. Right. And that doesn't mean that it's impossible because we have mm-hmm. science because some common sense doesn't really work. <laughs> right. And I don't know. And the other thing is, I mean, the tests that actually generated tumors within the rats one, apparently it's still within the range of false positives. And yeah. that's why we use peer review. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, damn it. Oh, there was another thing. <laughs> Can't for the life of me remember it right now. Oh, yeah. They they were irradiating the mice for like nine hours a day. Yep. Or potentially in excess. Yep. And so it's like every single thing that says, oh, yeah, this can cause cancer. It's like, well, what are the conditions under which it causes cancer? Yeah. Because I think there's an artificial sweetener that causes cancer if like the equivalent would be us eating several kilograms of that artificial sweetener a day. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you eat several kilograms of one single thing. I expect to, I expect for something to go wrong after a while. (laughs) Like, I mean, um, even a vitamin toxicity or something like that, depending on what. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a weird kind of disconnect in journalism, in reporting today. And I've experienced this myself somewhat as I've been writing. I've actually been writing for Mobile Serp for a year now. I find it very odd. They, this Wall Street Journal article says that this is a multi-year peer-reviewed study by the National Toxicology Program that found low incidences of these two types of tumors. And then if you click through to that, like the word study by the National Toxicology Program is a link. If you click on it, it opens up to this bioarchive thing where you can read the thing. And I think you can actually just download the PDF for free. The very first part, uh, Underneath the the names of the the writer says this article is a preprint and has not been peer reviewed. <laughs> it, it, like there's yeah. no like this is the Wall Street Journal. Right. You expect that it's like what do you what do you mean? Why did you write peer reviewed if right at the top of this thing it says that it's not? 
did, did they get a press release that said it was? Right. It just seems very bizarre to me to miss something or like misrepresent something that that obvious and right up at the yeah. top. Well, this is this is classic science reporting in today's news cycle because we've you know we we've even had incidents where there's people that release like literally fake or you know incorrect studies to the news to sell it to them and like oh yeah we'll pick it up and they'll run it without doing any sort of back checking of facts if it's peer-reviewed if it makes sense anything like that i feel like some news agencies don't even have the facilities to replicate half the experiments they talk about (laughs) we're not asking for the news news places to replicate the experiments that'd be great though (laughs) that would be if like in order to report on this you have to reproduce it (laughs) yeah that would that would be amazing actually that would solve a lot of problems with science and news reporting right yeah the um so in the actual paper itself, it says that there is some data that was peer reviewed, some of the data from the study, but it's an incomplete study. And the reason they, that they're releasing the findings now is that, um, this could have widespread public health implications, uh, which, which is obvious and true. But I mean, they decided a while back to classify non-ionizing radiation as a possible carcinogen, but that doesn't really have any meaning in that basically means we don't know. Guys, I have something yeah. very exciting to report. What's that? This cup repels bear attacks. <laughs> as long as I've had this cup with me, I have never once been attacked by a bear. And I think we need to get this story out there because this could have serious bear attack implications which you know is a big deal over in uh yeah. the mountainous country in alberta yeah for sure would you, like, say, it's, would you say it's game changing <laughs> is, is it a game changing development yes i would mike i would say that <laughs> yeah i i don't know how much more we need to say on this i just i want to re-clarify that this is not necessarily something to be alarmed about. It's something to be aware of. Oh, guys, it looks like Nick has more breaking news. Guys, this box of tissues, which is actually not Kleenex, I have never once been trampled by an antelope <laughs> with this box of tissues with me. <laughs> and I mean, it, it's pending peer review, but I got to get the news out there because <laughs> this could have serious antelope related consequences. Absolutely. We need to get this You're box right. of tissues to the savannah now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a little irresponsible, but at the same time, I I kind of get it outside the context of everyone's already scared or worried about the health effects of radiation. Now, I'll I'll give you an example of something I think is worth getting out there, like immediately, immediately out there. Sure, there was a trial on depression i think it was depression specifically and they were trying several different methods of treatment and one of the methods of treatment was just 30 minutes of cardio a day and seeing what effects that had on depression and the rate of or the effects of depression or the rates or whatever it was it so sharply declined with just 30 minutes of cardio a day in the trials they were running on humans actual humans with depression clinical depression yeah could i be any more verbose probably um (laughs) but they actually suspended the experiment and said no we just we owe a duty to the people we're currently experimenting upon to get them doing the 30 minutes of cardio a day because actual yeah human lives and uh you know like depression isn't fun. Right. And it would be, yeah, there's it no, would be irresponsible of them not to release the findings when it looked as conclusive as it did. That's when I think you can bypass peer review and say, no, no, just, we need to get you exercising for half an hour a day. Cause your life will be so much better. Right. But well, there, you have to consider the potential risks of a false positive, right? You, you there's no, yeah downside to the average person having 30 minutes of activity that that's pretty much conclusively good in every other way is it though rob is it (laughs) 
Yes, that that's what this study showed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true that that's a good uh, that's a good example of of a, a reason to release study results early. And we've already seen a lot of human related trials with with non ionizing radiation and cancer risk, and they have shown that there is. N- if there's an effect, it's infinitesimally small and can't necessarily be attributed directly to the radiation itself. And so the fact that a study on rats found a similar kind of possible effect. Maybe With only one frequency. The study. If you constantly irradiate them for nine hours a day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there were two frequencies they tested and it only affected the males, never the females. And it only affected the males with that one frequency. Right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the, the power levels here are also important. Like not just the exposure yeah. level, but or the exposure time, but the power levels. If they're sitting right next to like a cell phone tower <laughs> level of power, yeah. that's different than being next to a phone. And they, they've even said even now the um, like the SAR, mm-hmm. the, the amount of radiation you actually get from a phone. They really rec- they recommend keeping like an eighth of an inch between your ear like your actual skin itself when you're on the phone call because that's when the radiation is the highest if you look in your 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 manual for phones they will all say keep an eighth inch between your ear and the phone because everyone does that specifically (laughs) it's specifically because of the the potential link between cancer and cell phones they're saying at even an eighth of an inch the radiation that you actually get into like penetrating into your head drops off that quickly that it's it's much lower power even just at that short distance and it, yeah it just points to the fact that the radiation level is important the power of the radiation source is important everything in here is really important and so the fact that they've done real studies with people out in the environment and sh- show no risk means that a controlled trial here where they they're not actually even using humans you can't trust that nearly as much as you can with a big 30-year trial so yeah i i feel like we've adequately covered that for now we'll, we'll probably hear more about this covered study that thing and, that doesn't actually deserve studies. coverage just yeah. to express well, it, our disdain it with it coverage it it's important to talk about but it doesn't deserve coverage in a in a fear-mongering kind of yes way. yes i agree i'm yeah. trying to figure out what my plate over there repels <laughs> I mean, right now it seems to have repelled whatever was on it before breakfast. <laughs> it's true. Actually, I think it was bacon. Guys, I have bacon in the yeah. apartment again. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I guess we have time here for we'll do one more story here. And this is one that, Mike, you you brought up, which I saw, but I didn't actually look that far into. So why don't you tell us what uh what the biggest news in space this week is not SpaceX. <laughs> yeah, I actually saw that saw this this morning. It was some news coming out of the Rosetta exploration detection program, mm. and they've actually detected directly detected key organic compounds from a comet versus right. previously we've indirectly detected compounds. So after they come to Earth, then you do analysis on them and such, um, or you do it from spectro- spectrometry. spectrometry um just Uh, around a comet and that kind of thing to kind of see what it has mm, and whatever so this one was that sorry um you know what finish your statement then i'll talk to rob about it okay so this the rosetta lander has detected with like in the gases around the comet uh the what was it glycine something glycine yeah um which is a key compound to build proteins so and keep the dinosaurs of jurassic park at bay i think i could be wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so they've theorized or thought for a while that the key building blocks of life have come from the comets that have landed on earth like in this early yeah. stages obviously um Mm-hmm. So this kind of supports that that hypothesis that that's kind of where all these things came from. Same with rare earth metals, all that kind of stuff. Like they've yeah. they've kind of figured that they've all come from from space stuff that have 
impacted Earth in its early days. So it's it's cool that this just confirms what we've already kind of suspected, but we've actually been able to directly detect it. Versus they they referenced a another comet called Wild Two, where they detected uh, glycine before, but there were contamination issues that they had to kind mm. of sort out. So they they did end up confirming that they were comet origins, the glycine, because of the carbon-13 isotope. Well, and the fact that they're actually still out there. They haven't brought it... Like, there's contamination because they brought... They actually brought it back. Brought it back what? There's contamination from... uh, There was contamination, direct contamination of the samples, whereas this is out happening Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. The analysis on right, the and that's why that that issue doesn't come into play yeah. here because that lander's out there, so that there's no contamination to be to be had. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's just kind of another pure science type discovery, I guess. Like this doesn't really have any immediate bearing on on any sort of research right now, as far as like we glycine's already, I guess, well known as as a key building block of life, but it's it's just yep. cool to know that just what we've already kind of suspected is kind of holds this water yep there there was also water on the comet to be, <laughs> to be clear uh, so i was uh, yeah sir i was going to jump in and ask right, rob so yeah. if they had it on earth i think they might do spectrometry and then if it's in the atmosphere they'd be doing spectroscopy yeah Does that i sound I agree, about right i think yeah, yeah. I think okay so. gotcha spectrometry is usually like directly measuring it's usually mass spectrometry. And then spectroscopy yeah. is using light to indirectly yeah, using measure. your incident light. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. You use lasers um, and stuff, yo. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the interesting thing here and the reason that it every time something like this happens from space is every time we... It seems like at least every time we go and look for something out in space, we find it. And Well, not, ev- not every single time, literally. Like we don't find aliens, for instance, but... If we go searching for water on a planet in our solar system, we find it eventually. If we go looking for, if we go to a, a comet, this is the first time we've landed a lander on a comet to do research like this. And we found this, some building blocks of life. Uh, we found, obviously we're expecting water and we found water on the comet because that's a main kind of building. It's like a, uh, ice and there's, there's all kinds of very cold, even like stuff like liquid nitrogen because space is just really cold. Space. Another thing. He, they found here is phosphorus which is another kind of component of dna and like life itself it just leads to the fact that if if this one comet we found has glycine on it it makes it much more likely that this isn't a rare thing that every comet has glycine on or lots of them have glycine and we went through like mike you mentioned the late heavy bombardment is the official name for the the fact that we got hit by a bunch of asteroids and comets and stuff from the early universe it it's a good indicator of the that being the reason why there's life because the entire planet was already formed it was a ball it had started to cool and then we got hit by a bunch of stuff so all of this organic material is just around on the surface itself it's not it's not spread evenly throughout the earth it's it's concentrated on top and that those conditions along with all the the heavier radiation cuz earth had less of an atmosphere and this kind of critical mass of organic compounds means that basically all you need is a spark and life forms like that. That was one of the the experiments they did in the last, what, 30 or 40 years where they mixed up all the essential amino acids for life and a couple of other ingredients, phosphorus being one of them. And then basically like used a spark to simulate lightning. And I was thinking about that. They, they, found, they used yeah. like ammonia and water and like maybe mm-hmm. methane or something like that. Just, common gases that you could easily expect to be around and then yep. they arced it and found amino acids had formed which means yeah. like you know if amino acids just kind of naturally occur it would make sense that life would choose to build around that kind of thing yeah so yeah this is it's all very cool and i i had forgotten a little bit that this this comet had a bunch of research going on on it and so it's great to see that they have they're starting to get results in and specifically like this is this is a huge mm-hmm. result especially this like this comet and they're finding a lot of kind of these solar system bodies that spend some of their time out in deep space are they're not tightly packed like this is a very light they call it almost a 
just like it's dust or gravel being held together loosely. Oh, yeah. So it's not, it's not like, it's not a harsh environment. It's an area where stuff could survive. And it's all very exciting. Hmm. Anything else to say on, uh, on this wonderful comment? No, I think that's, <clears throat> that's kind of all we had to say about it. Hopefully we'll, we'll start hearing more news. I guess I was just reading in this photo caption that it's planned to end its mission this September by crash landing onto the yeah. surface of Rosetta. So, right. I guess. And yeah, as we always hear with these missions, they have, they have a goal and they set a very conservative goal of what they can do in case something goes wrong or, or there's a power failure or whatever, or in the case of Rosetta itself, how it was offline for a while because it just, it landed in a spot where they couldn't get to the sun to, to keep it solar powered. But it's likely that once they crash the lander into the comet, they'll be able to collect data from that. And that if anything is still alive, that like has power, they'll be able to continue doing research. It's just there. This is the expected end of the mission is we don't necessarily expect to get any new data after this. But if we are still able to, they're going to keep collecting right. it. They spent millions of dollars to get or even up to possibly a billion dollars to get these kinds of missions go- going. And so they're going to try to milk it for all it's worth. But this is the end of the expected mission. Right. It's the same idea with uh, New Horizons. Like now that it's gone past Pluto, the whole time they were already like, there's three or four kind of bodies out there that would be interesting to also look at. And, but they got the funding to look at Pluto. But now they're in in Congress, like they're in budget uh, discussions with Congress, try to get a budget, budget extension for the mission. But in the meantime, this, like there's a vast distance of space. This, (laughs) the, the New Horizons probe is just kind of flying out in that general direction anyways. So they're, it's going to make it easier to convince them to continue doing research, given that the equipment's already out there and running fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you guys, uh, good to wrap up for now. Indeed. I think so. Okay. In that case, I will say goodbye to the good people, the good listeners. This uh, this episode is going to be a bit shorter than than other weeks in that we had to cut a bunch <laughs> of stuff out in the middle. <laughs> but uh, thanks for tuning in. And you can head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat for past episodes and more. See you guys next week. Toodaloo. Ciao.